A question that is always in people's head when they look at your content is, why should I listen to you? Okay, so when you talk about what you have done, what has already worked for you, that gives you authority to talk about those things. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast, where I make you rich, happy, successful, and free with a capital F with every episode of the podcast. Guys, 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 I have pretty freaking cool news. So we have a lot of real estate guys on this podcast, right? Of course. And that is a massive shout out to my brothers over at GoBundance. A lot of them are real estate leaning. So we have guys on here 24-7 that are multimillionaire real estate investors and entrepreneurs. Um, But now I also want to dabble a little bit outside of that world as well and bring you guys different perspectives from different businesses because real estate is awesome. And there's going to be so much real estate content on Action Academy. But I also want to expose you guys to different ways and different methods to make fat and fast cash flow. And the guest that I have on today is a perfect example of that. It is none other than my buddy JK Molina, who is the co-founder of a software service called Tweet Hunter. And the purpose of Tweet Hunter is it's a tool that you use for the app Twitter, where you can go and it will help you AI generate tweets and give you different prompts and different scheduling. And it helps you systematize your content all the way to the point where when you are posting a tweet and you get a like, you can have an auto DM sequence sent from your account to the person that liked the tweet uh, to recommend your product or service. So it's a great way to monetize your account, to grow your account, to be intentional about your content. And that is the conversation we have today, ladies and gentlemen, because JK went from being a virtual assistant in Guatemala, making $250 to $500 dollars per month to now being the co-founder of Tweet Hunter, which brings in 1.5 million ARR annual recurring revenue. So that's about 200, 300,000 per month. And he started all of this in 2020. So the guy is hustling. And when this posts in late January, there are congratulations that are due because now officially my boy JK has exited Tweet Hunter. So not only did he build it, but now he has gone full cycle and exited the company to move on to his next thing. So he had a successful sell of Tweet Hunter for millions of dollars. The guy knows what he's talking about. So what do we discuss in the podcast today? We talk a lot about branding, a lot about positioning, a lot about marketing and sales, especially when it comes to content. We talk about how to position your content, position your personal brand online, because I think this is something that is super important for entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast to begin doing. I don't care how boring you think your business is. Um, If you go back to Nick Huber, who did the self-storage podcast on here, he's massive on Twitter. And this guy has gotten millions and millions and millions of dollars of leads and self-storage facilities off of his content on Twitter. We have Brian Beers coming on here that's gotten millions of dollars of uh, franchises that he's bought. Got multifamily guys that buy a bunch of apartment complexes off of relationships they make on Twitter. So long story short, 
it is worth it. And today we give you the playbook about step-by-step how to do it yourself. So I'll let you guys get to the show. But first, if you want your feet held to the fire, if you want to be held accountable each and every week, each and every day to starting that side hustle, building this service business, buying that next cash flowing rental property, if you like the information that you're hearing here and you're having trouble holding yourself accountable and you want to be around people doing massive things, the Action Academy community is the spot for you. Go in the show description or theactionacademy.co to apply for membership. Let's get to it. JK, hit them. All right, J.K. Molina, welcome to the show, brother man. How are you? All good, bro. Never been better. Dude, I'm excited to have you. Complete the sentence for me. Likes ain't... Cash. Likes ain't cash, man. What does that mean? So it came from a kind of embarrassing moment, actually. Like when I got the big following, I got the big Twitter following, but then I realized like people with one-tenth of my following were making 10x the money I was making, right? And it was embarrassing. I was like, yeah, the audience building side is not going to do it. I need to actually learn monetization. So that's where Likes and Cash was born. And I focus more on monetizing an audience and building an audience. And that's what I currently teach people. I love that. And I really want to get into that deeply with you today because people that are listening to this show are either at the beginning stages of maybe building a brand or maybe they already have a brand and they're constantly like cycling through the different valleys of despair, right? Where they're like, okay, maybe I've got 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people here, but my business is not doing anything. What's going on yeah. here? So with you, I'll give a little bit of a brief bio for you. For people listening, JK here has built a $1.5 million ARR business as annual recurring revenue off the back of Twitter, the Twitter platform. And it is badass. You're a badass. And I'm excited to really dive into this today, man, about the business creation, offer creation, audience building, all of this. But first, let's go back to the beginning before you had 1.5 mil coming in recurring. Talk us through your origin story about how you even got to this point, man, because I think that's really interesting that you don't talk about too much. Yeah, I was... Born and raised in Guatemala, that's below Mexico. So English is my second language, but I was just, I never really got into online business ever. Used to be a marketing intern, got fired. Used to be a VA for $250 a month, sold perfume door to door. Just trying to hustle, man. Trying to see how where I can make some money and nothing really clicked until I, I found Twitter. So didn't make more than, I don't know, like a hundred. No, didn't make more than like a 500 bucks a month for like years. And then I saw this one tweet by Lawrence King Yo on Twitter, also a great guy. So he posted something about Gillette, right? Like the razor company. So yeah. Gillette has 130,000 followers on Twitter. And if you check out their likes, they only get three or four likes per tweet. And then he basically said, Gillette's social media manager gets paid 80K a year. Do you know how much they would pay you if you weren't actually bad at your job? You know what? That yeah, that that makes sense. That computes, if you will. <laughs> so I started reaching out to people, man, because the one thing I knew how to do back then was I just liked tweeting. Like that, I got good at it. And I just reaching out to people, like, hey man, do you want to go shred it? Do you need some tweets? I can grow your engagement, I can grow your following, get you some sales. And send out a bunch of DMs. One guy believed in me. And after that, I I was like, if it worked once, it can work twice. So I just kept sending out more DMs, talking to more people. 
eventually built a ghostwriting agency. And yeah, that's, that was where my first chunk of money came in. And then the tweet hundred thing came after that. But that's the story. That's how it started. Talk a little bit about ghostwriting in general for people that may be unfamiliar with it. <clears throat> yeah, so... I'll only talk about Twitter ghostwriting sure. because I really haven't done anything on ghostwriting outside of Twitter. And most of the things we're going to cover just relevance for your audience and anybody listening will be about Twitter because that's what I can talk to. But Twitter ghostwriting is basically taking people's accounts and tweeting for them, right? So you tweet out tweets and threats for them. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge part of the business. I used to ghostwrite for them. It's usually easiest with people who don't need the money from Twitter. So founders, people who have already exited, VCs, investors, like top level executives, all those people are easiest to get into, to get as ghostwriter clients. That's who I went to because I knew they didn't need the money for them. It was more about having the presence and the influence and the leverage more than getting clients through it. So that, I don't know, it was just easier because when you're only writing for popularity over cash, only likes over cash, it's easier, but that's how it started. And for people listening, JK and I are going to talk about Twitter specifically, but you can apply these same principles and concepts to any type of media, really, because the same concepts that we talk about to a degree apply to your short form content, to your long form content. It's all kind of the same principles, but I really like that you keep saying over and over again, you're like, okay, listen, I'm really good at Twitter. Don't talk about things that you don't know about, that you're not an expert in. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think that's something that you do really well. Oh man, that was I got that from Hormozy, uh, oh, yeah. from Alex Hormozy. Yeah, everybody gets everything from Hormozy these days. And he got it but, from Brunson. Uh, oh yeah, he got a lot of stuff from Brunson. I can recognize some of the way he, ways he tells stories when he explains something and he uses. Oh, that's Brunson. That's a kind of like rich and expert secrets. But anyway, he talked about how there is no shame in not knowing everything, and it's kind of on with content. It got to a point where promises became more and more ridiculous as time went on. So let me show you how I built my ghostwriting agency. And then it went to, let me show you how to build a ghostwriting agency. Let me show you the perfect way to build a ghostwriting agency. So the promises started getting more and more outrageous. We started give everybody kind of this look of your, it's just scammy. It's just wrong. Because a question that is always in people's head when they look at your content is, why should I listen to you? Okay. So when you talk about what you have done, what has already worked for you, that gives you authority to talk about those things. On Twitter, it's very common. You'll find threads on, here's 10 books Warren Buffett recommends. Here's 10 keys to success that Jeff Bezos teaches Amazon employees. So it's, okay, cool. That's what Warren recommends. That's what Bezos recommends. Why should I listen to you? Like why, why do you have that credibility to talk about those things? Because we have this, I tend to have, I used to have this belief that high performers, the top level people I wanted to connect with, they were attracted to just the best type of competence. And they do, but they're also attracted to humility. They're also attracted to effort. And there is no shame in showing that you're already growing in your path. And that humility, I feel like giving up your winning card actually gives you access to more people because they recognize that, hey, this guy's self-aware. This guy's humble. I like this guy. Skill is easier, I feel. Skill is easier to teach than the right traits. If you're already arrogant, if you're already just not willing to learn, 
it's harder to unteach that than to teach how to be competent. You know what I mean? So I just feel like it's just a healthier way to approach this. It's just a more honest way to approach this. And it plays to something. I invented this in my, well, I was showering. So I don't know. I don't know how accurate. That's when the best ideas come is when you're in the shower and you're just like staring off into space. You're like, okay, this is a million dollar idea. (laughs) Yeah, bro. When you're shadow boxing in the shower, that's where the money is made. All right. Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I call it giving up your winning card. Okay. So I feel like when you give up your winning card, people play it for you. And it's also a good framing thing. So for example, I was talking about this like right before this call with the community. And if a girl goes up to you, and I use a lot of examples with dating because that is one of the things I'm more passionate about. I love that topic a lot. So people, let's say a girl tells you like, oh my God, you're such a kid. You're such a kid. You can do two things right now. You could one, take the defensive round and be like, no, I'm not a kid. You, I built this huge business. Look, did you know that I'm a seven-figure SEO agency owner? Like, they give a shit about that, right? Uh Or you could give up your winning card, right? And if she goes, hey, you're such a kid, you could go, if you say that again, I'm not showing you my dinosaur collection. It's like playing (laughs) to that card. You give it up. And then it's like like you win by losing. You you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like it, it works a lot in social, as in, hey, by the way, I'm not an expert. By the way, I don't have it everything figured it out. This is what worked for me. Hope it serves you. And by you giving up the desire to be known and respected, you become known and respected. That's how I look at it. So we're just going to reference Hormozy a bunch. Alex, you're coming on the show, buddy. But yeah, so he talks about the two different kind of archetypes. Yeah, $100 million offers. Yeah, it's my bu- It's my Bible, man. So he talks about the enthusiastic beginner versus the grizzled veteran like strategies, which is exactly what you're talking about. So you've got like the guys like, yeah, like Sam Parr and Sean can go do my first million because they've both exited eight figure companies. And so they can speak with that like authority because they've done it and they've done interesting shit to quote Sam. So when it comes to the rest of the people, though, people are now starting to build brands before they've done the stuff. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And I'm a thousand percent guilty. I haven't necessarily figured Twitter out because I've been guilty of exactly what you're saying, where it's just, oh, okay, I've got like a hundred millionaire guest on. That's okay. This guy's worth $150 million. I just interviewed him for an hour. Like that's the content I'm going to produce. But everyone was like, okay, but bring things back down to you. Why should we listen to you? And so that's something I'm actively working on. So what's some advice that you can give to entrepreneurs that are doing cool stuff and they're on their journey, but they haven't achieved that mastery yet, that really cool like it factor, which I know is also subjective because another piece of advice that I've gotten is talk to the version of you that was like two or three years ago. So can you speak a little bit about that to somebody that had a Gary Vaynerchuk exit where they've already built like a $100 million company before they got on social and they're in the process of it? Yeah. So I was actually talking about this to an entrepreneur the other, yesterday. The guys work with... The guys work with Hormozy, the guys work with a bunch of like heavy hitters. And he had this thing which surprised me. The guys built eight-figure sales teams. And when I asked him about everything he's done, he just goes, Yeah, man, you know what? I felt like imposter syndrome because I felt like I could be doing more. <laughs> like, dude, Always. if you feel like you could be doing more, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. So the feeling that you are you could be doing more is never going to go away. 
right? No. Because there will always be a next step. It's entrepreneurs. We feel like when we reach certain income level, we're going to be happy. Yeah, for two seconds. And then you're going to want more. That's just what happens, right? But uh, that, that feel is never going to go away. But the way I look at it is like a chain. Look at you as a, like a, chain, a link in the middle. There's always going to be people behind you. And there's always going to be people ahead of you, right? So you could be like, man, but I'm only making $100 a month. There's people making 90 The input that you could give them is valuable to them. At least $1 of value, but it's valuable. It's ahead. So to me, it's the mindset of I haven't achieved much. That's why I should post. It's not wrong. It's just inaccurate. The right way to look at it is no matter what happens, I'm a link in the chain. There's going to be links ahead of me and there are going to be links behind me. And I write for the links behind me because I know that what I've done is valuable to them because I'm ahead. Like I'm not miles ahead. I'm one link ahead, but there's got to be insights that I can share. And when you combine it with that humility and you saying, I, I don't know everything, but this is what I did. This is what worked for me. Nobody can with you because mm -hmm. you, you proved it. Alex says, if I said that this morning I had oatmeal, I'm untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, nobody can deny it. So I have my system to sell by Twitter and some people don't like it. I believe that whatever account size you have, you can't neglect selling by chat. You actually have to do outbound. And a lot of people, they give me flack for it. Say, no, dude, you have the account. You're just not good at monetizing it. I'm like, maybe, but this is what worked for me. Like, these are the screenshots. It actually made money. So you can't, you can't deny that it's not the best system. You can, but you can't deny that it hasn't made money. Yeah. And I, I like whenever you talk about the lead acquisition strategy, you actually just did a thread this morning where you were talking about audience building and you like three of your points to your monetization strategy were like the acquisition, the lead nurture, and then the maintenance. So I want to get into that in a little bit. We'll put a pin in that and come back there. But first, when we're speaking about all of this, like you don't like talking about your story, but I think that your story, like you said in the beginning, is the most powerful part of all of this. Because what you did, if you're like, hey, if I can do this, freaking anybody can do this. So I'm curious when we talk about like the middle of the chain link. So you've got people behind you and people in front of you. I come from a small town in Southern United States. And so it was just like my friends and my peer group and my surroundings weren't entrepreneurial and they weren't like helping me at all. I've got another buddy that's from Venezuela and his name is Diego. And like he was trying to do the same thing. And it's like he couldn't figure it out because he didn't have the community. So I'm curious about how did you go about finding your community when you were in Guatemala and you were doing all of this VA stuff and you're trying to figure out how to make things work? How did you change your mindset and change your kind of environment to be able to allow the possibility of this 1.5 million AR even happening? Yeah. So disclaimer, I got lucky. I, I really yeah, got lucky. It happens. Yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky in infinite amount of ways. So two ways I got lucky is actually they found me like the 200 founders. 200 was already semi-coded. It was already making a little bit of money before I joined it. It wasn't making like a lot. But it yeah. was still like they find me. But <clears throat> that was one. Second one is I'm actually like people tell me like, yeah, third world country. And you started like from the ground up. Just the fact that I'm speaking English to you right now tells you I wasn't poor. I was, yeah. I was like middle class. But yeah. Anyway, that being said, is I actually think it was an advantage. Like, people think that where I grew up, 
I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I'm sharing a lot of things I haven't shared in any podcast with you today. That means so. we're doing good, brother, man. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I'm not talking, I haven't talked about all this a lot, but it's the good stuff. Actually, I was man, thinking, it's you. Yeah, this is real. But I thought it was a disadvantage growing up where I grew up because it's not New York. It's, yeah, it's not yeah. LA. It's not Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's Guatemala. People don't know where that is. But yeah. I was thinking, man, like, a lot of my surroundings were ideal to entrepreneurship, I feel. For example, I'll give you I'll give you an example. So my mom's a lawyer. She was, she was super strict, right? Sure. And my dad's Asian. So he's extremely strict. So uh, growing up, like I if I wanted to play ball, I wanted to go out, if I wanted to go on a date, I had to pull up major persuasion tactics just to be able to play after it got dark. So I learned that. I they taught me like to just be tough. If I live like not in the city, but like in the not rural, but like the suburbs. And my parents made a huge effort, like a huge effort to put me in a good English speaking school. And the fact that they actually spoke English, man, that that made all the difference in the world. So how did it come to be like from Guatemala to 200 is COVID hit, it was 2020. I was in college. And I couldn't do anything. We were all locked up. So I go on Twitter. I was making 250 bucks a month at the time as a VA. And then I check some of Chris Johnson's screenshots. Right. A lot of more screenshots. Yeah. I'm like, what? You can make $200,000, $250,000. Like that. that's a thing. That's so much money, right? So I started looking into it. I thought it was bullshit, but it wasn't. So let's talk about the birth of Tweet Hunter now. So you said there was some code, a little bit of profit. What did you do when you got on board? And then how did you twist it and craft your offer so that you can grow it to what it is today? And it's exponentially growing. And I'm a, I'm a client too. So I pay for it, your product. I love it. Appreciate it. It was, have you ever done something and you were like, man, that was the right move, but you didn't do it intentionally? It was just kind of, oh, no, I, do everything, I do everything perfect. Everything <laughs> I do is perfect. Everything I do is perfect and calculated. And of course. Yeah. Duh. It was like that. It was like, Man, I'm glad that happened, but I didn't, we didn't think, think about, about it. it. So, yeah. yeah. So the thread you mentioned, the thread before you mentioned, it's actually about positioning. So I used to think offer was king. Now I think positioning is king. So here's how we think about it. I feel like, so say you own 500 feet of land, right? And you could own it in two places. If you own 500 feet of land in a desert, that would make you no money, Right. But if you own 500 feet of land in the Panama Canal, that would net you $4 billion a year. Same land, same skill, same size, different position. So where you stand matters a lot. So we figured it out accidentally, good positioning. So the way I look at it, there's two types of positioning in business, the way I look at it. And it's either compete positioning or complete positioning. So compete positioning is when you look at everything your market believes and you say, hey, this is wrong, and you go against it. My market, in my case, it's audience building, people who want to grow and monetize Twitter. And a lot of people believe that if you just keep posting, if you just keep adding value, then you're just going to build a huge business on it. And yeah, giving is part of business, but so is getting, right? So I went with saying cash. That is my positioning. So it's a compete positioning, right? And then there's the other type of position, which is complete positioning. That's when you find the missing pieces in the current market and you fill them in. <clears throat> For example, in fitness, 
it's my my coach, right? He's all about, yeah, you could do any diet, you could do whatever you want, but the missing piece that you want is data. The reason why you don't have the body you want, it's because of data. Do you know what your maintenance calories are? Do you know what your caloric deficit should be? How many grams of protein you should be eating every day? So he uses data as the completing mechanism for the market solutions. If you had data, it's complete. So you had those two, right? It was compete positioning and complete positioning. We actually went with the compete positioning with Tweet Hunter, as in all these schedulers, because that is what Twitter is. It's nothing revolutionary, right? It allows you to schedule tweets. That's what it does, right? Funny story is I went. Do you want to I give a pitch? Think- Do you want to give a pitch for it right now? Talk about Tweet Hunter, like real quick, about what it is at like an overview for people that don't know. Yeah, so Twitter is it allow it gives you Twitter inspirations. It allows you to just schedule tweets, and we just help you grow and monetize your audience fast. If you don't do that in thirty days, you can just throw your money back, or you just don't pay. That's the offer. But anyway, back here in Guatemala, I was uh, actually gave like a few mentorships. They like called me to speak and they were like, the event was called Disrupt Fest. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a fancy name. So I'm like, okay, talk to us about your disrupting product. I'm like, guys, it just schedules tweets. That's all it does. It's not disruptive. But anyway, we took the compete positioning and we're like, all these tweet schedulers, they show you how to multiply your impact accelerate your career, grow your influence. And you're like, no, like you're not here to grow your influence. You're here to make some money. So we're like, this tool helps you make money on Twitter. We position it not as a scheduler, but as a make money mechanism. So Mm -hmm. we took the compete aspect as in, yeah, all the schedulers help you, but do they make you money? Have you ever made money ever used a scheduler? It's like, I don't see any difference because you're not doing it right. That's why when you log on Twitter, you got this like huge, we don't let you post a single tweet until you read the guide on how do you write client attracting, money attracting tweets. Because if you get that, everything will be easier. So we, that's, I feel that was a big reason why Tweet 100 did well. It's because we were honest about the fact that we're not here to help you multiply your impact. We're here to make you money. So I feel like that was a good angle. And when I asked Thibaut, which is my co-founder, we're three, it's Thomas Thibault and me. I asked Thibault, what do you think it worked so well? And he said, because we didn't make Tweet Hunter what people wanted, we made Tweet Hunter something that was actually useful. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we figured out a way to monetize Twitter and a little some tricks that weren't available in other schedulers. And we copied a few, we implemented a few. And yeah, that's why I think that's what worked because of the positioning and because we made a tool that was actually useful. Yeah. And as a, from a client perspective, it's like I've done a couple of them and it's like with Twitter, like consistency is king. Right. So it's like you have to continue to post and continue to post and continue to produce valuable content, like you said, obviously with the strategy behind it. But it's difficult when you're going about your day and just like randomly haphazardly tweeting. So the reason I liked it was you also have a lot of AI baked in. That's really smooth to it. And it will show you, you can look up the different like topics and you can see like different threads. You can see different tweets and it'll show you like the format of them. And you can see like what hooks are popular and like what formats are popular. And then you can rephrase those in your own voice with your own content. And that's why I try to tell people, everyone thinks that you need to reinvent the wheel and create like the best thing over and over again from scratch. But the reality is that it's a lot better to take what's working and then apply your own content to it. The same with TikTok videos and like Instagram reels. It's just literally taking 
these trends that are happening and then putting your own voice to it. Is that what you've seen to be true? It's what I, it's half. I feel like it's half the equation. So I feel like half of it is copying the hook. The other half is changing the content. Sure. Copy yeah. the hook to get people to, this is, I didn't say that, but let me, let me explain. So you copy the hook as in, this is how you get people in it, but on the content, you need to talk about what you have done. Yeah. Like it needs mm-hmm. to be related to you. You need to assimilate it to you because if not, you fail to it to answer the question, why should I listen to you? Yeah. For example, right? I'll change everybody's legs here. You ready? So if you, I'm just messing with you, but if you take a pinch of salt before you go to bed, it'll help you not wake up to pee at night because the salt dehydrates. Yeah. That's like, to me, that's cool. I think that's cool, right? I still remember when Nate Schmidt on Twitter tweeted that if you go to Chipotle and they put one scoop of chicken. Don't ask for a double scoop of chicken. Wait till they put one in. So by the time they put the second one in, they can't put the sides because it already gave you one big one, right? That's useful, right? So when you give the small tips that are associated to you, people are grateful and they remember, they talk. They, they, people forget that the most powerful channel is word of mouth, right? If you talk about what you have done, you create goodwill in people's head. If you're in people's head, they'll talk about you. Yeah, I love that. So I'm talking about from the context of like, my positioning, so you were talking about compete or complete. So like my positioning with my community that I'm currently in the process of building with Action Academy is that when people like everyone wants to quit their job, everyone's I hate the corporate America thing, like I hate the matrix. I want to escape the matrix and do what I want when I want with who I want. And so people are investing in real estate, they're investing in stocks, they're doing all this stuff, financial freedom movement so that they're out of that corporate job and they're doing their own thing. Problem is where it's incomplete, is that nobody talks about what happens like when you do it, right? So it's like you quit the job and then what? Because there's like a huge gap there to where now you have to like completely change your identity. Now you're not a worker, you're an entrepreneur. Now you need to build yeah. a business. You need to figure out what are you passionate about? What are you going to use your time to do? And so that's the context I was asking that question in because that's where I come in. And I'm like, hey, I did it. Now I've traveled around the world and I've built something that I really enjoy doing every single day, which is talking to you right now. And I find a way to monetize it. And I call it passionate income. So I was just curious because this is, oh yeah, dude. Yeah. From passive income to passionate income, man, that's my thing. And that's my likes ain't cash. And so it was just, and like, and I'm making anywhere from 20, 50,000 a month. So I was just like, you've got to be raking it into with your 1.5. I'm like, and you're still doing this. So that's just like a point proven. It's what I was trying to do is make you a case study, brother. Yeah. Would you recommend people follow their passion straight on? No. You have to earn it, I think. What do you think? I have this take that Dan Cove doesn't like. He's one of my closest friends on Twitter. I'm all about get rich first, learn Buddhism second. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like to me, I'll honestly, to me, $5,000 a month was a life-changing amount of money. From $250 yes. to $5,000, was crazy. So... When I got to 5K and your stable level, your level where you're like, yeah, my, I'm good now, could be 10K, whatever. But when you get to that level, and don't be greedy with that because you really can live on very little money if you like actually wanted to sure. and still live comfortably. So when you get to that point, I feel like the thing that comes with it, it's not, the money is the least valuable thing that comes with it. The, one of the most valuable things that come from it is detachment. With detachment comes good judgment. And with good judgment comes more money. 
right? So if you are detached from the outcome, money helps you. Like money helps you get detached from the outcome and then you're going to make better choice. Mm-hmm. For me, it's service businesses was the fastest way to get a 5K a month because it's two clients, right? Or you want to make six figures, that's four clients, right? If you learn a high income skill. So that was, it's not hard. It's just, it was simple. Just get four people to agree to it. So when I got to that point, that's when I was like, okay, maybe now I can follow my passion because I'm not broke. It's easier to follow your passion when you're not broke. Are you able to say how much you are bringing in a month personally outside of the business? Like outside of the margin talk? If not, it's okay. Talk revenue. Revenue is like 200K. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So yeah, the reason I say that and expand on, on what you asked me, my kind of philosophy and my strategy behind everything is I think that you build passive income to earn the ability to earn passionate income. Because what that does is when you have passive, which is like real estate, maybe dividends, like the unsexy stuff, and you build a foundation of that, like a really strong like real estate portfolio or something, then you're, like you said, like you, you've got that 5K met, which that was my number two, where it was just like, okay, real estate's giving me 5K. So that's a very strong foundation. And now I'm not like burdened with having to pay the bills, having to think about where the dollars are coming in, having to think about all this money stuff. And I've disattached, like you said, and I'm like, okay, cool. Now I can spend all of my bandwidth on building something and figuring out like, what am I super passionate about? And then how do I make money from that? So that way I'm never working a day in my life. So now I work 24 seven and I don't even feel like it because I freaking love it. I think that's the goal. Nice. Yeah. No, I think that's cool too. Like I, th- this is going to be fun. So to me is when I feel like when I'm optimized to enjoying everything about my work, personally, my work quality decreases and sure. my income decreases. It's when I am like, this is going to suck, but I do what is required. That's when I make a lot of money. Like for me, a big part of my business is talking people on the DMs. Yeah. I don't necessarily enjoy it. No, actually, I don't enjoy it. But it makes a lot of money. So we do it. And when I embraced and I realized, yeah, it's just going to probably suck. I don't know. It was my work started getting better. My quality of work started getting better. My mental health and willingness to get to work was getting better. And yeah, it was, it was, that was just what worked for me. It was those two things that active income came before passionate income. And when I embraced that, there is always going to be an aspect of stress. There is always going to be an aspect yeah. of business you don't like, and you're okay with it because it comes with the territory. I started making more money. Yeah. So what I tell people is problems never go away. They just look different. So it's like, you want to make a million dollars. Okay, cool. You're ready to handle a million dollar problems. So it's like the game, I think, is, and what I've seen from all my mentors that are like there, and they've got $10 million, $20 million, $50, $100 million businesses, is like the game is starting the business and taking it to the point where you earn the right to be able to delegate out the parts that you hate. So that's when it becomes fun. So it's all just a giant game because you're like, okay, like in the beginning, you have to wear every hat. Like you have to do the outbound. You have to be the copywriter. You have to be the marketer. You have to be the fulfillment, everything, operations. But then as you get more revenue and you grow in revenue and margin and EBITDA, then you're able to be like, okay, I'm going to hire a CEO. I'm going to hire marketing. I'm going to hire outbound like sales. I'm going to hire this. 
And so it's it's super fun, man. But in closing, I want to bring you back. I specifically wanted to put a pin in this because it's the tweet thread that you just did most recently. So it's fresher for you about the lead acquisition. So since we're talking about outbound, I want to go back to that strategy of the acquisition, lead nurture and maintenance. Um, I, I specifically liked your email sequencing where you do like the six emails. So I just subscribed to yours just to get be a, a recipient of the email sequence. Can you give us like a rundown in the next 10 minutes of the acquisition, nurture, maintenance section that you talked about? So I believe in building goodwill in public and selling in private. Building goodwill in public with content threads, content threads and tweets, content, and monetizing in private, which is calls, emails, and DMs. Okay. So how do we do this? So I believe in proving your competence and showing giving everything away on your Twitter, making people know that you are the expert at your pond. And if you're not the expert at your pond, maybe of a puddle. And if not of that puddle, a smaller puddle, right? I was the expert at Twitter ghostwriting for money Twitter agency owners. Tiny little thing, right? I believe in getting people into your email list and you sell them on the email list, right? So on the email list, that's where you can actually... I believe in promoting your email list a lot and selling your product inside the email list, not so much on the Twitter feed. Agreed. Yeah. When you get them on the email list, it's easier. And there's a six email sequence, which I actually stole from Yara Golden. The first, it's kind of very tied to Bronson's soap opera sequence, which is essentially, you don't want to finish an email idea in the same email that you started. For example, you'll start a story on email one. So hey, I'm going to tell you a story of how I accomplished X. And then you only get to the middle of it in that email. But I'll tell you about it tomorrow. And then tomorrow you open up another loop, which you close on email four. And in email four, you open up another loop, which you close on email six, like that. So I don't remember the six steps off the top of my head, but it's, it's just opening loops and addressing objections, right? Like one is objection everybody gets is, who are you to talk about what you're talking about? So I show up on my struggles. Another one is it's too expensive, right? You could talk about how expensive not solving it is, right? Another one is, I don't know if this is for me, you send an email of who you're talking to. All right. So it's addressing objections. I pitched on the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. The first, second, the first and second are to build trust. And then maintenance is basically, you already have the list. You need to keep sending emails, right? I actually tested sending two emails a week did okay people complained that i was emailing them too much and then i emailed them every day and they still complain i'm like if they're gonna complain it might might as well sell every day and i sent out a form and said hey are you comfortable with how much i'm emailing you and 98 percent said yeah that's cool every day dude i'm like oh cool so, Wait, I so what changed sending- i thought you said they said they were complaining about it and then you sent out a form because that's all the form yeah because everybody's gonna complain anyway so might as well do it. Yeah, they're not gonna like it anyway. They're, they don't like it when you make money. It's unethical. So everyone I, told uh, me not to. Everyone told me not to do five podcasts a week. I do five podcasts a week. So Monday through Friday, I post a podcast. There's a reason you make twenty to fifty k, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, in closing, bro, I want to be conscious of your time too. What's some advice in closing that you would give to somebody that feels stuck in what they're currently doing? They want to do the online thing. They want to begin monetizing and like building an audience, monetizing the audience. What's some closing advice that you would give to that person, maybe in two to three bite-sized pieces? Yeah. So I feel like one is 
split it in phases, then try to build a 10 million dollar company, try to get a 10K a month. Because I'm assuming that if you feel stuck and you want to like, quit your nine to five, 10K a month is a lot of money. Yeah. It, it is a lot of money. So let's set up as a goal. Right, so we're going to get rich first and then figure it out second. Okay. So how do you get it to 10K a month? In my opinion, the easiest, fastest, and just least costly way is building a service, SEO, copywriting, email marketing, lead gen. Those high income skills, that's how I did it. My skill was ghostwriting. That's what I chose. So what talents do you have or what things do you want to learn that are high income that people are already charging 2k 3k for and after that i would recommend two things which is uh, one is offer creation if you learn how to create offers 100 million dollar offers by alex Ramosi, excellent book i also recommend looking at what other people in your industry are doing just straight up copying them and then learn a way to get leads into the pipeline like cold email works cold dm works talking to random people works asking for referral works Find ways to get people to buy the 2 to 3K offer you created with your high income skill. Get to 10K a month. And when you get to 10K a month, you're going to be detached. When you become detached, you're going to make good decisions. But mark that as your first goal. That is what you, I feel like that's what you need to do is just go by steps. Once you get there, you'll have more perspectives and you'll know what to do. How long will this take? Six months to a year. But is it worth it? I know for me. It yeah, exactly. So people think about it. We're all spending so much time thinking about how much real estate that you can buy to get 10K a month. And that may be $20 million of real estate sometimes. So it's, if you could just figure out how to commit months to doing this, which is essentially what I did and what JK did, you can do that. And then you can be able to funnel all the rest of that and uh, build and scale on top of it. So anyways, brother, where can people find more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm most active on Twitter. At Makes sense. One, yeah, O-N-E-J-K Molina, one J-K Molina. And uh, yeah, I'm always there. You can also sign up to my OnlyFans, but that's only for later. But for now, Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter. I'll see you soon. Yeah. yeah, and if anybody wants to check out Tweet Hunter for themselves. Yeah, you, you want to grow on Twitter faster and or you don't pay, monetize or you don't pay, it's tweethunter.io. You can check that out as well. Perfect. Brother, man, appreciate you coming on. This has been an absolute blast. And with that, that has been Brian Lubin and JK Malina with the Action Academy podcast signing off. Bam. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.